Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm your host, Michael Benner. And today's episode is the second of three podcasts we're doing called Your Emotional Center. This is really our introduction to emotional intelligence. And the whole idea of emotions as a doorway or portal to spiritual growth. In our first episode, we made a few points. We talked about love, not as an emotion, but more as a drive. And the idea that love is actually a reference to awareness. And in that sense, there's nothing more fundamental to our existence than awareness. There's a great line from the 12th or 13th century, a mystic named Johannes Toller, who said, if I were a king and did not know it, I would not be a king. Now, that sounds simple enough, but if you reflect upon it, think about how much there is about reality that does not exist for us because we're unaware of it. And you could say, well, it's out of sight, it's out of mind, it's happening on the other side of the world. Yeah, but what about that which is right in front of you, which you don't see? How often have we found ourselves sitting at a traffic light that's already turned green, and we're awake, and yet somehow we're really not present The light turned green and it takes somebody honking at us in the car behind us to bring our attention to the fact that we're even driving a car. And so it is. Were you aware of the flavors of the last meal that you ate? Did you make conscious choices about the food that you ate? Or about just an experience socially communicating with a friend? Were you a good listener, or were you just waiting for your opportunity to pick up where you left off? There's so much about life that we're unaware of. Often it takes some sort of serious trauma or even a near-death experience to bring us to a point of realizing how much we've been missing and how much there is to be grateful for every day. That drive to work or school, for example, the same path you take down the highway every day, how much of it do you never see? Additionally, we see the concept of love as awareness in Christ's admonition to love your enemy, which in all philosophies and religions continues to be quite a remarkable concept. Why would you do that if love were an emotion? Why would you walk up to someone who wants to kill you and your family and steal all your stuff and give them a big hug and a kiss? It just doesn't make any sense unless or until you recognize that love is being used in that way as a synonym for awareness, for consciousness, in which case love your enemy means understand why this guy is your enemy. Take a look at what you've done to frighten him. 
or her and cause them to feel some animosity toward you, to even feel threatened by you? And can you modify your behavior so that they are no longer feeling threatened and therefore not an enemy? And yet, even among the millions of Christians in this planet, there are only a handful who have ever really reflected on that concept, love your enemy, as a way of explaining that love is awareness, not merely some warm, fuzzy, emotional feeling. So we touched on that in the last episode. We also talked about emotions as the center, the interface, really, between our thoughts and our behavior, so that it's mental, emotional, and physical, right? Or thoughts, emotional feelings, and behavior, action, health. And as such, this interface, emotions are the product of what we think, though it works the other way as well. There's a back and forth between thoughts and emotions, each can engender the other, resulting in an outcome or a behavior. But often, if we act out of emotion alone, without sufficient conscious, deliberate cognition or thinking, we end up regretting what we've done. Hey, why did you do that? Well, I did it because I felt like it. And then we think about it afterwards, which is usually an attempt to rationalize the behavior, to justify it after the fact. So even though there may be a back and forth between thought and feeling, when you're ready to take action, it should be a clear, specific thought or direction, an idea, with some sort of passion and interest, a caring that moves it forward. So we briefly discussed in our first podcast in this three-part series, the idea that thoughts are an energy, but emotions are the force behind the energy, a little bit like amperage and voltage. And so in this second episode of three, I'd like to continue our discussion of emotions by touching on some of the distinctions between thought and feeling. Boy, there's very little information about this. If you ask most people, what's the difference between a thought and a feeling? If they're honest, I'll admit they don't really know. In fact, you can ask yourself, what do you know? What do I know, you say to yourself, about the difference? What is a thought? What is a feeling? Is there some overlap between thought and feeling? Are there some experiences that are sort of straddling the fence, part thought, part feeling? Yeah, there really are. But there are also some clear distinctions between the two. So let's talk about some of those. First of all, what is a thought? What is cognition? And are there different types of thought? Well, we think of thought as logic, reasoning, or analysis. It's a mental activity of consideration and deliberation. But we also refer to intrusive thoughts as thoughts. 
And these are the thoughts that we have that are not oriented toward a particular task or outcome. They're very passive. They're spontaneous. They originate in the unconscious. They're largely negative and full of worry and doubt and apprehension, a lot of self-loathing and feelings of inadequacy. This is worry. And it's not deliberate or purposeful. It just bubbles up. And we call it thinking. But again, it's not the result of an intention. Whereas logic and reasoning, that form of consideration or deliberation or reflection, is usually task-oriented and deliberate. That's why it's called deliberation. (laughs) It's purposeful. Emotions, on the other hand, are affects. They're expressions, they're responses. Now, both thoughts and emotional feelings can arise spontaneously. Now, admittedly, emotions like these intrusive thoughts we've just discussed can arise spontaneously, but I must say the idea of deliberately feeling a particular way, of conjuring up an emotion, is a little more challenging for most of us. We haven't developed yet the ability to conjure an emotion and really change the way we feel. Commonly, people will say, well, I changed my behavior. I recognized that this was destructive, so I stopped drinking or whatever. And similarly, we'll hear people say, well, I used to think that way, but it changed my mind. But how often have you ever heard somebody say, well, I changed the way I feel about that? So it's very easy to feel victimized by your emotional feelings as if there is the feeling that's causing you to be a victim of how you feel and you don't really have very much control over it. It's one of the reasons that when I begin to talk about emotional intelligence publicly to a class or a crowd in some sort of address or speech, People are often confused, and I will typically begin an address by saying it's likely that this idea of there being intelligence in your emotions is confusing to you, because so many people will say, well, you know, I was pretty even-keeled and reasonable about it, and then I got all emotional and ended up doing things that I immediately regretted, and saying things that I wish I hadn't said, and so on. So where's the intelligence in that? Well, in order for the intelligence in our emotions to be understood, to be identified and processed, they have to be managed. We need to learn to manage emotions, to approach them in a in a calm and even-keeled kind of a way. This is usually called equanimity. It's a matter of balance and rising above, even detaching and gaining an elevated perspective on our emotional nature. And this needs to be done consciously and deliberately, again, with awareness. 
Here are some other differences between thoughts and feelings. Thoughts, of course, are conceived mentally. They usually arrive as words or images. person who tends to be visual will say, look at this, uh, picture this, or they'll begin a sentence with, look, can you see this? Whereas an auditory person who thinks in words will begin that same sentence with, listen, instead of look. They'll say, can't you hear what I'm saying? Because it sounds to me like... There's also a third rep system, representational system, way that we represent our experiences in life. And that would be kinesthetic. And that's feelings in your body. And those people will talk about trying to get a handle on something or get a grip or just the way it feels to me. And they tend to be much slower in their responses than the other two, seemingly more thoughtful. So although thoughts tend to arise as words or images and maybe backed up by a sensation in the body, emotions are always felt in the body. Emotions are felt somatically. Sensations, much like a physical feeling, uh, pain or pleasure, discomfort, uh, hot and sweaty, cold, uh, I'm hungry, I need to use the restroom. Physical feelings are very similar to emotional feelings in that they are felt in the body. Whereas we consider that thoughts are conceived pretty much in the brain, in the skull. And so one of the talents of a real cerebral or cognitive person, someone who relies on their thinking a lot, to learn to access their emotions is to consciously move their awareness from their head down into their body and feel those feelings. And a good therapist or a person who guides a person into expanded emotional awareness will often say, where do you feel that in your body? What does it feel like? If it had a color, what color would that emotional feeling be? Trust your first impression. You don't answer these questions with logic, but with intuition. If it had a shape, what would be the shape? If you could carefully reach out and touch that emotion for texture or temperature, how would it feel to the touch? And so in this way, people become more sensitive and more aware of their feelings. Another distinction between thoughts and feelings is the understanding that thoughts tend to be objective. They're really intended to help us understand the world around us, the who, what, where, when, and how of things. Whereas emotions are much more subjective. They're internal, they're personal, they're about us and our motivations. They're really the why of things. And a nice allegory for this, I think, is sports announcing, where you usually have a couple of people, a play-by-play -play announcer who would correspond to the mental nature in our thinking, and he or she is going to say, uh, it's the wind-up and the pitch, and swing and a miss, or 
That's ball four. He walks the guy and goes to first. Meanwhile, there's a second person over here who does what in sports broadcasting is called color. And what's the color about, if not the play-by-play? It's the background story. It's, yeah, Bill Smith coming up to bat here. He's from Louisville, Kentucky, and he played college ball at Penn State, and he was drafted by the Atlanta Braves in the early 2000s, and he's doing the color, and that's sort of like our emotional nature. Emotions are the flavors of life, the fragrances, the tastes, the, you know. It flushes out the black and white line drawing that the mind provides. Or you could say, our thoughts tend to be very linear. This leads to this, and then this, and if this is true, then this is true. Whereas emotions are very multidimensional, and they can go in all directions, (laughs) often at the same time. Okay? So, there's another distinction. Let's talk about a few more in the time that we have left. I've already said that thoughts can generate feelings, and vice versa. In psychology, there's much made of the fact that our thoughts may rise out of our emotional state. But the reverse is just as true. The way you think can easily change the way you feel. You can prove this by pulling on a memory. And if you think about a particular memory, choose something good. For example, if you want to generate some nice, warm, fuzzy feelings, you choose a negative memory, you're going to drudge up some uh, anxiety and some hurtful feelings. But if right now, while you're listening to this, you think of something warm and pleasant, you're going to generate some wonderful feelings immediately. So it works both ways. They influence and stimulate each other. And yet are entangled, as I said at the beginning of the podcast today. And one of the ways I think of that, since I just brought up the idea that emotions are so rich and colorful and multidimensional and somewhat like flavor and fragrance and such, we can think about thoughts and feelings being entangled like flavor and aroma. How do you separate flavor from aroma? They're really quite interdependent, aren't they? Or another classic would be shape and color. You really can't have a shape without a color. You can't have a color without a shape. So it's pretty hard to have a thought that doesn't have some feeling attached to it, even if it's rather neutral, which we call flat affect. Or to have a feeling that doesn't lead to some kind of consequential thinking. There is that interreliance or interdependence. Another distinction is that thoughts are continuous. Boy, the monkey mind just never stops chattering. Mostly, as I said earlier, intrusive thoughts, which, yeah, we call it thinking, but again, it's passive, it's spontaneous, non-deliberate, not task-oriented, and we call it thinking, but that chatter goes on 24-7, even when you're asleep, as evidenced by the dreams you remember in the morning. 
Or if you wake up in the middle of the night, you often will remember a dream. Some people are lucid dreamers. They're aware of the dream while it's happening. Which brings up the understanding that awareness is different than thinking itself. We can have thoughts with a very low level of awareness, or we can develop a higher level of awareness, so-called higher consciousness or expanded awareness, and have a thought in that state that is much more expansive. So lucid dreaming points to that distinction between thoughts and awareness. A psychedelic experience does the same thing. Psychedelic experience will expand your awareness and make things much more clear and obvious and often much more significant while it scrambles your thoughts. In many ways, a psychedelic experience mimics schizophrenia. You know you're crazy. And you lose control of your thoughts. They, <laughs> they just go everywhere. Crazy is a good word for it. Not technically a good term, but you often feel like a lunatic. And yet your awareness is just so clear. It's one of the profound effects that people report as a result of any kind of psychedelic experience, whether it's LSD or psilocybin or mescaline or ayahuasca, any of these organic plant-based natural psychedelics. So here again, thoughts are continuous, blah, 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 blah. They never really stop. If you hear a lightweight meditator or even a meditation teacher who doesn't really know what they're talking about saying the purpose of meditation is to stop thinking and you suffer the belief that that's some sort of attainable goal, you can forget it because the really wise teachers and the gurus who've dedicated their entire lives to meditation will be the first to admit you do not stop thinking. You can slow it down. You can expand the gaps between your thoughts. And in fact, that's quite a profound concept because the gap between the thought is an entrance to another whole dimension. We have talked about in the past and we'll talk about again in the future, opening those gaps, expanding those spaces between this spontaneous thought and the next one. The goal of most meditation is not even to concentrate, but simply to bear witness, to detach and rise above the thought process and watch that stream the way you might sit on the bank of a river and just watch the water flow. And you never get wet. You're just above it all and watching it happen. Or uh, another example that is uh, often offered in meditation is that you can be sitting in the train station on the platform as the train comes in, the thought train, but you don't have to get on board. If you just sit there, that train will move on. <laughs> but there will be another train of thoughts following it. Emotions, on the other hand, we're talking about distinctions and differences. 
There's much more of an ebb and a flow. Thoughts can be extremely intense. And then, of course, there is, well, I just didn't care that much about it. You know, I felt this way or that, but it wasn't really all that important to me. And then one more distinction that I want to make, and I think this is a very important one. In some ways, I saved the best for last year, and there are others we're just not going to get to today. But thoughts and emotional feelings often conflict with each other and create all kinds of confusion, ambivalence, and anxiety. But a thought can be wrong. We know that. We've taken tests, right? I mean, even the DMV exam, they have two or more right answers, and you have to decide which is the better right answer. That always seemed unfair to me. Well, this is right, but this is more right, so you were wrong to choose the right one. You needed the more right one. (laughs) Doesn't really seem right, does it? So thoughts can be wrong. Gee, I thought that was right, but I studied for the exam. I knew the material, but that screwed it up. So I was wrong. But your emotional feelings are never wrong. Now, I have to add very quickly, what you think about the feeling can obviously be wrong. And this leads us to a subject we're going to talk about in our third part of this little trinity, the emotional center, parts one, two, and three. Thinking about your feelings is not the best way to understand them. In fact, Thinking about feelings usually numbs us to the feeling. Feelings become diminished when we think about them. And that can create an illusion that we've handled the feeling because I thought about it and thought about it and it just didn't make any sense. I didn't really learn anything. The assumptions I made are probably wrong anyway. You'll find out soon enough as the feeling returns in its own sweet time. But the language of feelings is not thought as logic or reasoning, but something more emotional in nature. You may think of it as mental or thought-based, but it's much more spontaneous and more related to emotions, and that's intuition. The language of emotional feelings, the best way to interpret the significance and the meaning of an emotional feeling or even a set of emotional feelings, some combination of feelings that you're trying to sort out. They even may be conflicting feelings, as they say, ambivalent and contrary feelings. The best way to discern, to understand that, is with intuition. And that's why peace and understanding go together. Because the way to expand awareness, the best way to expand awareness and to promote understanding is to relax and feel safe. When we reduce anxiety and fear and stress and calm and quiet our nature, 
feelings will begin to reveal themselves to you. There's a line in one of Dostoevsky's novels about rolling over on their back like a little puppy dog or a kitten at your feet and just revealing themselves to you. That's what emotions do when you rise above it, when you detach through deep relaxation. This is part of meditation that is often not discussed. And it's one of the reasons that yoga has the asanas and the exercises, the stretching, is to prepare for meditation. Yoga means union. It's not the exercise that unites you with uh, spiritual energy, chi or ki or kundalini or prana. That's the beginning of letting go of the muscular stress and tension that holds fear and anxiety, worry, doubt, nervousness, whatever you want to call it, in the body as muscular tension. You stretch that out and then sit quietly, feel safe and relaxed, and your mind opens. You become more aware, more in tune with capital L, love. And then you understand. It might even feel like remembering. Oh, that's what that means. Oh, you know, that reminds me of a time that I felt similarly. And what I came to understand eventually was, oh, yeah, this is very much like that. Or this is a brand new feeling or set of feelings. But as I sit here and reflect on it in this deeply relaxed state is beginning to dawn upon me. And it'll come either as a dawning, a gradual illumination of understanding. It may pop on like switching on a light bulb. You know that archetype for a good idea? Boink. Well, understanding a feeling is a similar experience. It's enlightenment, right? That light bulb pops on. And sometimes you're just thunderstruck as if the top of your head blows off. You get this revelation, this epiphany, this profound aha illumination or revelation. So whether it's a dawning of an idea or a burst of insight or an explosive epiphany, that's what we're going for. It's not logical. Logic is mostly deductive. It's general to specific. It's taking things apart and to discern the meaning and significance of of emotions is just the opposite. It's going from specific to general, this overarching concept that requires us to rise above it and enjoy the benefits of an elevated perspective. So this is part two of your emotional center. And so in our next podcast, we'll conclude this with part three and then move on to other matters a little more esoteric. We've been focusing on my book, Fearless Intelligence, and uh, several podcasts where I was interviewed on the radio and internet programs. And I hope you've enjoyed all of that and picked up the book. It's available wherever You buy your books. Amazon is just one place. Every bookstore has it online or brick and mortar. Fearless Intelligence. The subtitle is The Extraordinary Wisdom of Awareness. 
And there's also an ebook version you can get wherever ebooks are sold in Kindle version and Barnes and Noble's reader, the Sony ebook reader, and, and a lot of people use the free Adobe e reader app. So, all kinds of PDF file, even. There's all kinds of approaches to that. So, hope you're picking up the book and enjoying it. You don't have to speed read the darn thing, just sample it like an hors d'oeuvre. Just keep it on the table next to your bed or uh, your favorite chair where you tend to read and uh, take it a little bit at a time. It can be pithy, it's not difficult. What's that saying? It's simple but not easy. Uh, it's profound. This whole idea of fearless intelligence and understanding that fear really has nothing to do with danger. It's, it's about confusion and a lack of awareness and difficulty understanding. And once you realize that, then you can learn to face your fear. And that includes all of the feelings that hurt, that frustrate or irritate or humiliate us. They're all built out of fear, stress, and anxiety, you'll be able to move directly into that heartache and that frustration and harvest the rewards, the treasure that's waiting for you in all of that desperation and despair and, and desolation. It's good news. And I'd also encourage you to sign up for our regular email newsletter. You can do that by going to the podcast site, theagelesswisdom.com, and scroll all the way down to the bottom. There's a coupon you can fill out. I just need your best email address and your first name, really. Or you can go to my main website, michaelbenner.com, and there's a button you can click on there to sign up for the newsletter. If at any time you want to unsubscribe, at the bottom of every edition, there's a little button to do that, and uh, no hard feelings. <laughs> no point wasting the bandwidth if you're not going to read the thing. But it'll keep you up to date on events that I'm doing, on upcoming podcasts, and sometimes just a little learning lesson and they all have quotable quotations at the top, and I think it's sort of a fun thing. I've been doing it for about 12 or 13 years now. So uh, michaelbenner.com or the podcast website, theagelesswisdom.com. One of the great things about getting the newsletter is there's a button there. Anytime you want to reach out, you just click on this button. You can access my online calendar and schedule a free intro session, one-on-one, -on -one, a telephone, wherever you happen to be in the world, a telephone or a Skype or a WhatsApp or Zoom kind of a session. And the first one, no charge and no obligation to book anything further. It's an opportunity to talk to me one-on-one, -on -one, get your questions answered, uh, find out what I can do for you as I discover from you how you think I might be able to help you out. So private counseling and personal counseling is available once you begin to get that newsletter. So that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner from Palm Springs, California. So long.